Welcome to the Crack Pots Podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. And I'm Pastor Chad. And our text for this past week was Isaiah 9. Um, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, that lovely um, foreshadowing of the coming king. This was Christ the King Sunday, which I always point out in my sermon whenever I am preaching Christ the King Sunday that this was a holy day that was instituted in 1925, so it's a relatively new one. I did not know that. Do you know, you, that, which means you probably don't know why it was instituted. That is correct also. This is the one day a year where we get to say this is a church day that was completely and totally politically motivated. The Pope instituted Christ the King Sunday in 1925 because guess what was going on in Italy in 1925? I don't know. What was going on in Italy in 1925? There was this um, supreme leader, as he had uh, designated himself, Hmm. named Mussolini. Heard of the guy. Yes. And there was kind of this rising politician um, next door up in Germany as well. Wasn't quite up to the level of Mussolini yet, but he was... Give him a little time. He was working up to it. He was working up to it um, and would surpass. But um, yeah, so the Pope saw kind of the fanaticism... And the, the demands for loyalty that were going on with Mussolini. And so he instituted Christ the King Sunday as a reminder to Christians that their king was not Mussolini. Their king was... Jesus? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> So as, as, you, as you were laid in the groundwork for that. <laughs> in my very slow... My, which is good, because I'm in kind of one of those slow kind of like... Uh, That's early. States it, today. it is early in the morning. It's early. And the allergies Allergies are, and yeah. sinuses and ugh, just can, ugh, not fun. Um, my question was, how'd that work out? Right? So the Pope was like, you know what? I, we're going to need something here to bring people back to remind them that you know Christ is actually their king and that's where their loyalties lie. How'd that work out? Well... Was there a war or something? There was. <laughs> and that, that, that guy in Germany kind of kept rising to power. And yeah, that... that. Unfortunately, I don't think um, um, Christians took a lot of heed of uh, that... Uh, that particular holy day being instituted. And, and, you know, and it's not really one that we spend a whole lot of time talking about in the church, and probably because of the fact that it is so rooted in a, well, first of all, it's, it's a relatively new one. It's um, less than 100 years old. I mean, we're coming up on the 100-year yeah. mark here. We'll have to do a big <laughs> celebration on the 100-year anniversary <laughs> of Christ the King Sunday. Um, and, but it, it, it kind of usually is sort of one of those lesser days that just sort of, oh, okay, yeah, that was today. It's sort of, but because we're, we're always so geared to, it's always right either, it's either the weekend before Thanksgiving or the weekend after Thanksgiving. So it's usually a very 
low attendance <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> Shockingly. <laughs> so that's interesting. I never put that, I never really like, put that together. So one of, one of my first... Which, which, of course, in, in Italy, it isn't Thanksgiving. Right, but, right, right. Yeah, right. but it is the, the right before Advent starts. Right. So it's right before the quote... Yeah, and so see a lot. Season, so right. in terms of the liturgical season, it makes sense. Right. Like, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. It is, it is funny, not funny, haha, maybe funny, ironic, that... So one of my frustrations or, or pet peeves in the church, um, you know, there's two major church days, right? Mm. Christmas and Easter. Which, you know, so growing up, the people that only came on Christmas and Easter, we called twofers. We called them priesters, priesters. CEOs. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, Christmas, Easter only. Yeah. And then the church fills up in those days. And then, you know, we're all excited. Christ is risen or, or Jesus is born. And then the next week, attendance just tanks. <laughs> and it's like, wow, what which, a great celebration. Which, I mean, I guess we have kind of embraced to a certain um, amount in the church as well, because we don't even, I think we're, we're only having one service um, Christmas weekend after Christmas Eve. Yeah. Yeah, we're just, we're doing one service 10 o'clock Sunday morning on the 26th, because we know it's, that's, that's just kind of the way, the way it goes, and we recognize that's our the reality is yeah. that we just don't have tons and tons of people um, still celebrating. <laughs> I also <laughs> find it interesting that so we're well into Protestantism by 1926. You said 25. Yeah, 25. Mm -hmm. We're well into Protestantism. It's not like you know there there was just the Catholic Church, right? No. Yeah, like we're well into Protestantism, and the Pope says, you know what? This is going to be Christ the King Sunday. The Pope, the head of the, I believe, the Catholic Church. Correct. Um, yeah, the Pope, the head of the Catholic Church. Yes, I know the Pope is the head of the Catholic Church, tongue-in-cheek. Um, the Pope, the head of the Catholic Church, says this is going to be Christ the King Sunday, and then the Protestant churches say, oh, okay. Well, I wouldn't say all of the Protestant churches, but right. yes. But yes. many the, of the, the Protestant those churches. Those of us who follow a liturgical calendar. Right. Say, yes. oh, okay. Yeah, we, we, we kept the liturgical calendar that the, um, the Catholic Church had instituted um, in kind of more than what I call mainline denominations. Yeah. Of I, just I just find that interesting. Yeah. The, 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 we, we, he, the power he made of the, the Pope? Yeah, he, he made the holiday and now we celebrate it as well. Right, right. It's just, it's just interesting to think about, um, you know, the whole... Lutherans and Catholics don't exactly agree on everything. No. That's like an understatement. Yeah. Our liturgy is very similar. Our traditional liturgy is very similar. We have a, there's some similarities, but generally speaking, like... Theologically, we're very different. Theologically, we're, yeah. we're pretty different. And yeah. when the Pope... Yet, when the Pope makes declarations, not just Christ the King Sunday, but even today, you know, I used to think, well, who cares? That's the Pope and they're Catholics and I'm not Catholic. We're Lutheran, so whatever. But then you start to realize sort of the influence, the, the influence, the power, the you know the power of the words um, that the Pope holds, and it kind of does trickle over to Christianity. So I know we're going or all, a, all of Christianity, kind of on a tangent here, but yeah, um, when I was in Egypt and we were 
uh, I was over there with my Islamic relations um, group. Uh, there was an, actually an Islamic relations department at Luther Seminary back when I was there. It's no longer there, but it, when I was there, it was there, and I'm very grateful that it was. Yeah. We went to Egypt uh, to study <laughs> Islamic relations. And one of the things that was pointed out was that part of the problem within Islam is there's no central figure. And they pointed to the fact that, yes, okay, so the Pope is like for one particular group of Christians, but when the Pope speaks, people listen across Christianity. I thought that was E.F. Hutton. Yeah, well, the Pope apparently is going to trump E.F. Hutton. Okay. So um, when the Pope speaks, people listen. And now, of course, you know, they may not like what he has to say. They may not, you know, whatever, but it carries weight. It carries a certain authority regardless of whether you are Catholic or not. And I hadn't really thought about it. Yeah, and I was is, like, is, so there is this kind of spokesperson for Christianity that the whole world listens when the Pope, the Pope speaks. There's the Dalai Lama. Yeah. There, but there is, you're right. There's, there's nobody in Islam that is the, quote, voice of Islam. Um, they're supposed to be. They're supposed to have a caliph. Um, that is uh, the, the, the kind of leader person, depending on whether you're Sunni or Shia, though, is how that person comes to be, and that's right. part of the problem, why they don't have one right now. <laughs> <laughs> they don't get along. They don't get along. One thinks that the caliph needs to be um, a, a descendant of Muhammad's family, which gets real interesting when you consider Muhammad had no children of his own. So it's got to be within his, like a nephew, you know, through third, that lineage. Third cousin removed. Right, and that's the, that's the Shia. Whatever and that then means. The, the, the Sunni believe it's elected, that, you know, they, they elect a leader, kind of the way we do a pope, um, if you're in the Catholic Church. Um, so it's, that, which is why they currently have no caliph, is because yeah. they just, they, once they split, the caliph kind of quit being a thing. I mean, they had some within the Turkish, the Ottoman Empire and stuff like that for a while, but at the, the, when the Ottoman Empire fell, um, they really have not had that kind of, that kind of leader. And it's been, it's been difficult for them. So gr growing up, I always thought it was the, Ay the <clears throat> Ayatollah. Just, well, just because he's such a powerful figure. Yeah, yeah, and and that is Shia. You know, that's right. the um, in in that. But even he would have to like submit in some way to the caliph if there were one, um, which would probably is probably why there isn't one. Because <laughs> yeah. that's the kind of power the Ayatollah has at the moment is that um, he really doesn't want to have to bow down to anybody. And people don't give away power. No. They don't. Once they have it, they don't like to give it up. Um, but yeah, which kind of gets us back to Christ the King and, and what kings do and they hold on to power and, and things like that. And I found it very interesting to point this out in my sermon that, um, you know, Satan actually does offer Jesus kingdoms of the world. Says you can be king over all this. And Jesus goes, nope. Smart dude. Yeah. Now, some people will be like, oh, well, that means that, you know, he's not a king in this world in any way, shape, or form, blah, 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 blah. And it's just a spiritual thing. And I'm going to push back on that just a little bit. Okay. I'm going to say he rejected the existing kingdoms of the world because of how they functioned. So, so keep in mind, you know, we're talking Jesus, right? Yep. 
And we've been working through the Old Testament, kind of laying out some of the kings. Mm-hmm. Um, not all of them. We, we've we've only touched a few this 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 cycle through the lectionary. Yeah, I talked a little bit about the king that's at play in this text, which is King Ahaz, even though I don't think he's even mentioned. But um, it's uh, King King Ahaz is the father to Hezekiah, who you probably know that name a little more than you would know Ahaz. The the, the list the list of kings <laughs> who we would deem uh, I don't want to use the word good. Is short, but the 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 list of kings that we would deem as good um, is really short. David, Solomon, Hezekiah, Josiah, in Judah. So no good kings in the north, by the way. So David, <laughs> the the northern kingdom had no good kings, um, even on our very low scale of what makes a good yeah. king. So David definitely had his shortcomings. As did Solomon. Solomon is the reason, actually, that set up the split. Yep, Solomon. So we're building temples with slaves. I, I mean, so so again, we're. I think we're grading on a curve. To, well, to, that's what I mean. Right. According to the standard, I mean, which is very I, I mean, very low, of what makes you quote a good king. I mean, to get to get to that to get to that list to get to that number, um, yeah, we're we're grading on a curve here. And so Jesus, I think, was like, yeah, no. Oh, well, I mean, that, that's the reality is he, you know, when Satan is offering him all the kingdoms of the world, uh, Jesus is going, um, yeah, no, I'm not interested in those kingdoms because those kingdoms do not reflect what my kingdom is about, what my world is about, what um, and that, I want. And that's where we get into trouble, right? Yeah. Like Jesus's kingdom versus the world and the worldly kingdom. And, you know, we get kind of caught up in what is the worldly kingdom and that's where, that's where we kind of struggle. Well, and I think part of why we struggle is because we separate them out to the point that we don't think one has anything to do with the other. From the standpoint of when you start talking about the kingdom of God, people are not going to equate that with um, something here now that we, you know, that's, that's the afterlife. That's we've talked a little bit about this before about kingdom of God, et cetera, et cetera. Of um, you know, it isn't a worldly kingdom, and so it's spiritual, and therefore, um, one really has nothing to do with the other. The problem is, is that they kind of get intermingled in ways that might make us a little uncomfortable because. Ultimately, if you're spiritually following the kingdom of God and trying to do the things within, the, you know, your, that's your spiritual um, practices, the things that you're called to do as a Christian, it's going to affect or it should affect the way you live together in the world and the way you live amongst other people, which means it has a societal impact, which, guess what, as soon as it has a societal impact, it's going to have a political impact. Yeah. And, and, that's, and that's where it gets muddy. Yep. It, 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 it really is. It's where it gets muddy. It's where the church starts to split. It's where the church starts to get ang- Church being the people, starts to get angry, starts to... Gets anxious. Gets anxious. And it's when they start shifting in their pew. I call it the butt shift. You can tell when people are uncomfortable, they kind of you know, shift in their seat a little bit. Um, and uh, 
it's hard. Like, it, and we, I, th- I think, what, 90% of our podcasts end up in this realm, you know, acknowledging how difficult it is, you know, to actually do this kingdom stuff, this kingdom of God stuff in the real world. Right. Like, it's, it's hard, it's messy, it's convicting, it's conflicting. Well, because part of the problem is the kingdom of God um, is portrayed for us in ways that are so different from how our world and our reality actually function. And how, you, and how we're wired as people. Right. Like, it, like so let's not, let's not just, I don't want to just throw this at, you know, sort of at the, at the feet of society with a, with a, you know, in, a, in a broad sense and say, well, it's, it's the way the world is. Right. It's the way we are individually. Well, it's right? the way individuals have come together and created the world. Correct, correct. Yes. And, and I, think, I, I think part of it is acknowledging that, acknowledging that brokenness that we have, that we all have. So this isn't a, well, the left is broken or the right is broken. It's a we be broken. Yeah. Like, it's a human be broken problem. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think, <clears throat> so if, if, you, you know, if you kind of talk on one side of an issue then it's, oh, well, now you're blaming me. And, and, and we've heard this from people. We, you know, so it's my fault that racism exists. Like that, that's a direct quote mm-hmm. um, from someone when, when you know, kind of speaking out against racism. And no, I didn't say it was your fault that racism exists. But we're all, you know, it's but collectively, our, you know, it's, it is our fault. It's yes. our fault, right. It's, it's, not a, it's not a your fault. It's not a this side's fault. It's not a that's, it's, a, it's an our fault. We've all fed into, into you know, we all have a role to play in the world and we all you know, kind of have a role within the systems that are at play. And so it's, it's us, it's a we thing. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's part of the problem. There aren't, there's not a whole lot of we's anymore. There's a lot of me's and there's a lot of us's, but there's not a lot of we's. Right. And Which is actually goes back to the Garden of Eden. Um, when Eve is initially talking to the serpent, I said we's, not Eve's. I know, but let <laughs> l- l- me finish here. <laughs> when Eve is talking to the, the serpent in the Garden of Eden, when she's talking, she says everything in terms of we. Well, God told us. Okay, now we know God told Adam, didn't tell Eve directly, but the way in which Eve perceives it is it's, it's a collective kind of thing where it's, well, it, this, this, this covers both of us, you know, kind of thing. So there's that, that sense of community in terms of the, the, the we-ness <laughs> and that don't laugh. <laughs> yeah, I know, you're having a Friends episode. Just go just with like it. <laughs> um, but after they eat of the fruit, not the apple, but the fruit. Not an apple. <laughs> After they eat of the fruit and their eyes are opened or whatever, there is this immediate turning inward of when God comes then into the garden and starts going, hey, where y'all go? Um, Adam begins by saying, I, not we. I was afraid. So we should eat less fruit. I think that's a bad plan. It's a bad interpretation. That's a bad interpretation. <laughs> it's a bad interpretation because there was fruit on the. Well, other you can eat apples because apples. Because there's there, 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 there was apples. fruit on the tree of life as well. So, yeah. Gotta, right. yeah. But okay. anyway, I tried. But apparently, whatever fruit was on the um, the tree of knowledge of 
uh, good and evil um, was really pleasing to the eye. So it, it looked really yummy. So just stay away from the really yummy looking fruit, apparently. <laughs> like, go for the ugly fruit. <laughs> okay, like jackfruit. Have you seen a jackfruit at Publix? I have not. Or if I have, I guess I haven't paid attention to it. But. Google jackfruit. If that looks like something you want to eat, you got issues. <laughs> so, but anyway, um, no. It, <laughs> How do we work jackfruit into to a... To Isaiah, I don't know. I don't know, but that's pretty impressive. That, that is. I'm... <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Going to give you give you five stars on that one, um, but you know, yeah. So let's as we come back to this Isaiah text in terms of he is looking forward to. So he's dealing with King Ahaz, and King Ahaz is trying to make a deal with the Assyrians um, because the Assyrians just decimated and obliterated the Northern Kingdom, and he's going, "I'm next. I get it." I'm did it? Did it? The prophets predict that. Of course they did. Oh. Yeah. But um, so, so, you know, the, there's this, this obliteration that is happening of the northern kingdoms. Because remember, there were no good kings <laughs> up north. Um, and so Isaiah is trying to talk to Ahaz and tries to basically talk him out of making a deal with the Assyrians. And recognizing as well, so there's a sort of a twofold thing going on with Ahaz in terms of Israel being obliterated. On the one hand, Israel was poised to invade um, Judah before the Assyrians came in. So he's kind of, yay, raw, the Assyrians just took care of my problem. Yep. But is also looking at the fact that, oh, wait a minute, I may have unleashed a monster here and the monster is knocking at my door. And how do I keep the monster at bay? And his way of doing that was he was going to become a vassal kingdom to Assyria, which meant they had to pay tribute, um, which meant they had to pay lots and lots of money to the Assyrians for the Assyrians not to come in and do in Judah what they had done up in the north. And Isaiah comes in and goes, you know, that's a really, really bad idea. Um, I know you think this makes sense, given your circumstances at the moment, but I'm here to tell you that God is going to deliver you from the Assyrian Empire and don't make this deal. Um, show your faithfulness and I promise God will do this now. Um, just ask for a sign. God's going to give it to you. So my grandmother used to say, when you date, lay down with, with dogs, you get fleas. This is, yes, very true. Or, or Assyrians. Or Assyrians, yeah. Um, and the Assyrians were a very brutal lot. I mean, they were not a, a pleasant group of people. <laughs> um, they did nasty things to their prisoners. So this is, this is like a legitimate fear of what's going to happen. Um, but anyway, so yeah, Isaiah says, just ask for a sign. God's going to give it. And Ahaz pulls the whole, far be it for me to test the Lord. <laughs> Can we get back to some of that? Cherry picking, cherry picking. When, you know, oh, wait, oh, no, I'm not going to test the Lord my God, which is the same thing Jesus said when Satan was like, hey, make God do this. And, and now the difference is when the prophet comes to you and says you're allowed to do it, you should do it. Because when the prophet is saying, God wants you to do this, maybe it's time for you to do that. So, God says, fine, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. 
despite the fact that you're refusing to ask for one. So back in chapter 7, we get that whole, and the young woman shall conceive and bear a child, and he shall be named... Emmanuel. Yes. Which um, means... God with us. And so here's the struggle, though. So Isaiah is speaking into this moment in time and going, here's your sign. This is going to happen. And this is going to prove to you that God will um, deliver you from the Assyrians, which meant... There had to have been a child 700 years ago that was actually born to be that sign to Ahaz because Ahaz kind of needed Ooh. that immediate, this is my immediate problem that God is promising to deliver me from. So now the reality is when we look at, and, and, and people speculated they think maybe it was Hezekiah is the child, but we don't know. Um... And others have speculated that it was actually Isaiah's wife's child. Uh, you know, who knows? We don't know who that, that particular child was. But when you look at chapter 9 and you start getting all of the things, he's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. Hezekiah was not a Prince of Peace in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> <laughs> Hezekiah is the one who went, hey, my dad maybe really should not have made this um, deal with the Assyrians because they're making us pay more money than like we actually have, and this is becoming a burden, so guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to rebel against the Assyrians. <laughs> and God does deliver them because Hezekiah does what his father didn't do and has faith in God, and he, he revolts, and so the Assyrians are again knocking at the door, and what winds up happening is um, they literally are, are at the gates of Jerusalem, and everybody's holed up inside, and it's this, this panic and, and everything. The next morning they get up, Assyrian army's gone. Plague. Plague ran through them during the night, killed them off, scared the leaders, they ran off back to Nineveh. It's a hardcore plague. That's a hardcore plague. In one night. So that's kind of that progression of this story of how um, this whole Assyrian thing kind of uh, comes to an end, so to speak. But it's, so, it's a struggle from the standpoint of, on the one hand, we know Isaiah was talking about something in his own time and place. And in... Um, Chapter 9, it's, you know, he's this wonderful counselor, um, you know, prince of peace figure that, you know, who's going to judge with justice and righteousness, and um, his, his kingdom will live on forever, is basically he will, he will establish the throne of David forever. And so you know that this is not actually one of the kings that plays out in the Old Testament. So you're going through the list. Mm -hmm. Wonderful counselor, peacemaker, rule with justice and righteousness. That sounds great, right? It does. I think part of the problem, though, is... Oh, no, 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 no. I, that, that, okay, okay. That sounds great, right? Sounds like great. everyone's like, oh, great. yes, 
yes, yes, yes, yes, yes. And then Jesus is born and we hear the same things, right? So like Jesus, counselor, peacemaker, rule with righteous and justiceness, ju justiceness, <laughs> justice and righteousness. Theoretically, I think as Christians, we think we have to like that. You know what I mean? Oh, well, well those are Jesus and, and well, yes. How popular would Jesus be today? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I mean, so not 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 the. I'm a verbal processor, so there's your warning. So my filter's working overtime today. Just FYI. <laughs> so so not not the biblical Jesus. <laughs> and again, let me explain what I mean by not the biblical Jesus. The biblical Jesus that allows us to read different parts of Scripture and kind of, and kind of pick the parts we like. I'm talking Christ incarnate walking with us, calling us to be his followers and what that entails. Just believe, right? And I'm not sure that that he's a very popular guy. Like I, I don't, I don't think, and and it, it it breaks my heart to to say this, but I wonder how many people today would actually follow that guy, that guy being Jesus. And, and we, I, so so I I can stand here because I'm standing, not sitting. I can stand here and say, yeah, I would follow that guy. <coughs> and then there's other parts of, of Jesus that go, oh, that's hard. Give up all your possessions and follow me. I like my house. I, I kind of you know, like my stuff. I don't have a lot of it. I don't have a ton of stuff. But the stuff I have, I, I kind of like. It's kind of nice. And I want to also, here's, here's the thing too, though. Um, I think we need to have a caveat in terms of when, when Jesus is talking about giving up all your possessions and stuff like that. He's not glorifying poverty, by the way. Right. He is not saying poverty is the way to live. Right. Um, his point is more, I think, along the lines of what Torah was after, um, was the just and equitable society where everybody has what they need to live and, and be. And <clears throat> so poverty is never glorified in terms of God wants you to be poor. That's not it. God actually wants the opposite. God does not want you to be poor. God wants everybody to have abundant life. Everybody to have the abundant life. Where, this, where it gets sticky is the problem is there are those who have very abundant and those who do not. Have nothing. And have right. nothing. And... So it's kind of, again, we've talked about this equalization, but I think part of the problem, too, when we talk about a just and righteous society is that means different things to different people. Um, justice looks very different depending on where you sit. Um, I mean, and I am not in any way, shape, or form going to give commentary on my own personal thoughts regarding this, but for example, we had a trial just recently Half the country thinks justice was done. The other half of the country thinks justice was not done. 
Right. Justice looks very different for different people. Yeah. And so this becomes the, so how do we define what justice is? You say, well, we need justice for the people, say, on, on the, the um, border. Somebody else is saying, well, but we need justice for the people who maybe get harmed by the people at the border. And so it becomes this, this, this com competition, so to speak, of whose justice are we fighting for? Yep. And I think that's where things become sticky because when we uplift what we see as the marginalized, the, the, the more at-risk group of people, the group of people who isn't as much at risk, but has maybe had a bad, you know, moment or has had a bad um, experience or whatever, doesn't like to hear justice for that. Yeah, so another, another example is, you know, when the Black Lives Matter phrase came to prominence a few years ago, and then the pushback was all lives matter or blue lives matter. And I remember, I remember having a conversation and thinking, well, wait a minute. Can I, if I say Black Lives Matter, does that mean I don't think blue, blue not, there really isn't blue, but whatever. Um, police lives, do I, do I, so if I, if I make the statement that Black Lives Matter, does that mean I don't think that law enforcement lives matter? Well, my, my cousin is, is, is a police officer. He's a captain of um, one of the police forces back home. Yeah, his life matters. And, and we got into this, into this situation where, where people were under the assumption that it, you, it couldn't be both. Right. Like, like I, can, I can support police and want them to do their job equitably and with justice. I can support black lives and still you know, want them to live in a law-abiding way. Like, I, I mean, I mean it doesn't have, there doesn't have to be the polarity. And unfortunately, society has, has really gotten into this, you know, this place of polarities where it's right. either or instead of both and. Because you're right. Like, the, and the truth, honestly, is somewhere in the middle, right? Right. So you, you were, you were referencing the, the, the Kyle Rittenhouse thing. The, re, the issue really is somewhere in the middle, Right. Um, so on one side is no, he had a, you know, it was self-defense and blah, 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 blah. And on the other side, it was, it was murder. Looking for a fight. Yeah, it was murder. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so, you know, the reality, so the question I've ha I had through the whole thing is, well, why would you go somewhere and carry an AR-15? Like, you know what I mean? Like, like why, like why is, you know, so the, I have questions beyond the legal system. I have questions even beyond this incident. Question beyond this incident. You exactly. Remember? Okay, so last week you were talking about um, Desmond Tutu's statement about how you need to go. Yes. Why are people, quit yes. pulling people out of the river um, and go find out where they're falling in the river. That's exactly. So this whole thing happened because yes. of something else that yes. was going on at the time. Right. That was a bigger systemic kind of, kind of issue that we're dealing with. And so this is sort of the, the down the river kind of things that are happening now as a result of 
we're still not dealing with that particular issue. Yeah. Well, and, and there's a lot. There's a lot of them there. So you know, I think one of the things that made this 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 case so popular and so um, contentious was that there's so many issues at play. Yeah. Right. Like there there are so many issues at play in this that are hot button issues. You know. You know, why was he carrying an a why was he carrying a, you know that weapon openly well open carry blah 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 well blah. why were the other people there and you know with that were had, right. had one of them had a gun as well right. and um, you know, why, they why, were they were bad people yeah. and they why, were rioters why did, why did he walk by law enforcement why i mean i mean there's 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 so many issues in this one in this one incident and i think you're right it's really for me it's less about whether or not that kid was innocent or guilty by the way the law's written. It's, it's, for me, it's less about that, and it's more about why did we get there? Like, why, how and why did we get to a place where that incident even happened? And so, again, we're back, the right will blame the left, the left will blame the right. And the reality is, the answer is both. Right. Like, like the, the answer is both. And we've lost that ability. One of the things I love about the prophets, not all the prophets, but many of the prophets. <laughs> not all of them. Well, no, I, I, I really appreciate the prophets, but for this, in this example, I, I think we've lost our ability to critique ourselves, right? We've lost the ability to look in the mirror or to look at our own political leanings and say, uh, no. This doesn't work either. No, this isn't right either. Uh, and we've, we've lost that ability because we're so dug in that we don't even look. So like if you are a gun rights person, that kid was absolutely justified. If you are a, if you want some restrictions on guns, then that kid was absolutely guilty. If you um, are, I, I mean, you, you, you can draw the lines yourselves. But I, I, I mean, and it's, and it's got to the point where you can't look and go, well, if, if we, whatever side you're on, if we weren't doing this, then this wouldn't happen and this wouldn't happen. And if the other side says, well, and if we weren't doing this, this wouldn't happen, this wouldn't happen, this wouldn't happen. We right. would have never gotten here. Yeah. And, and, and looking at those kind of systemic issues that are, are spilling over into these kind of individual events that become polarizing events. Um, and I mean, <clears throat> and, and you can do this with tons of topics. I mean, you can look at um, even the, the issue of abortion and say, okay, you have two people on either side of this issue, one who's saying absolutely not, ban abortion, blah, blah, blah. And then the other person going, well, some people need abortion for a variety of reasons or whatever. And part of it, what we're not doing is looking at the causes of why abortion becomes necessary for certain people. The number one reason women get abortions is economic. Um, not all, but the vast majority is they simply can't afford it. And when we live in a system where single mothers are not really well supported financially, what are they going to do? Right. So then he says, well, so, then, well then don't have sex. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Right? So, so we're, again, a human. again we're, ba we're back to that, we're back to that, you know, why are people falling in the river? Yeah. So, so the flip side says, well then, well, then don't have sex. Abstinence only. Which, okay. And again, may, maybe, 
I, it's going to get me in trouble. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm already, I, I've already jumped into this river, so yeah, I'll just go. hope you're, that someone... You're already, you're already I'll, I'll trying hope, to, trying to hope, canoe I'll your way that, upstream, and I'll it's not that, working so right, well. I'll hope that someone throws me a life raft here, or one of those donut things. Oh, a donut. <laughs> we should talk about donuts instead. But, but I mean, I, <laughs> I mean at some point, you know, those who advocate for abstinence only maybe should recognize that that's not maybe all that effective. Right? I mean, human nature... Hormones, man, hormones. Right, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying that everyone should go out and sleep with everyone. No. I'm absolutely... I am no. not saying everyone should sleep with everyone and it should be a giant worldwide orgy. That I'm not saying. The reality is people meet, meet people... And things happen. And well, and, and there's, there's emotions involved, yep. and there's hormones, but there's emotions involved. And one of the expressions of those emotions leads many times to sex. It, 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 just, it just does. And we, and we can say that it should be within a marriage, and, and, I, and we can have a whole separate podcast and episode on that. Yeah, I think, I think that you know, there is, yes, sex is sacred and all of those things. The reality is, if we're not. We, we gotta, we've got to look up the river and go, so why are, we, why, why are we ending up in this situation? Well, we've made sex this huge taboo thing that we can never, never, never talk about and just don't want to talk about and tell people that they shouldn't do it. And again, back to the Garden of Eden. Right. We go, oh, well. We know How did we, that work? Right, we know what happens with temptation, right? Yeah. Like, we know what happens with temptation and Adam and Eve, you know, jumped into that river, so to speak, and, you know, and, and here we are. And we can pretend that none of that happened, or we can say, okay, how do we get to the point where we eliminate abortion? Like, I don't know of a whole lot of people that are like, abortion is great, this awesome thing. No. Like, I, I, I just don't. It's, it's always a very sad and, and Absolutely. terrible thing whenever it um, is. So how do, we get, how do we get to the point where we don't have to have happen. these conversations, where we don't ha- we have a society where, you know, rape doesn't happen? Like, how do we have a society where we, we're comfortable talking about, you know, sex and ways to prevent pregnancy to begin with? And, 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 and... And, and, and part of that conversation also about um, the, the importance of sex within a relationship, the effects of sex within a relationship, how sex changes relationships, and how that's not always a good thing. Yes, it can be beautiful, but there's also... A lot of stuff that gets tied up. A, a, lot, a lot of issues. And, and which leads to a lot of domestic violence type sex situations. Yeah, blah, yeah. Blah. you go, okay, so all of these issues... And we go back to wise counselor, so, wonderful healer. Well, we go, no, what oh. we go back to is we have to acknowledge, um, and, and I say this in my sermon, we cannot bring the kingdom of God all on our own. We can't legalize it. We can't moralize it. We can't just bring it in on our own because bottom line is we are still sinful people. And, and we have to acknowledge that. We are sinful people, which means, no, um, we aren't probably going to live in a world um, of, of basically kind of our making at the moment, um, a world where rape doesn't happen, where these things, where murder doesn't happen, where these things don't happen. Th- these things are going to happen. And yes, we're looking forward to a future where 
that garbage does not happen. Um, and so it's really, I think this is where it becomes very hard for us to envision the kingdom of God here, knowing these things will still happen no matter how good of a Christian you are, no matter how much you do your, your justice, blah, 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 blah. And I think the problem then is we give up. We go, these things are going to be with us. Therefore, I'm going to surrender myself to the reality of this being the way it is. And so, as, so as you as you were talking, my question would be, so what? What's the point, right? Right. So it's like, okay, yeah. so so why do we strive for this? Why why, why strive for it? Yeah. Um, and and, and that, that is a totally fair question. Absolutely a fair question. Well, the the example I used in my sermon, which I know is the example you absolutely love. <laughs> is training um, from the standpoint of preparing yourself for what is to come. If you are an athlete and you know you have a race coming up, are you going to sit on the sofa and eat a bunch of cookies, um, those famous Amos cookies, <laughs> um, drink some beer, watch some Netflix or some you know college football and scream at the fact that your team can't seem to ever win a game and lose by one score all the time? Um, or are you going to actually put into practice the things that you want to see or that you are hoping for, striving for, et cetera, in the kingdom of God? So let's be honest. I'm not even entering the race. Like, I'm not even signing up for the race because donuts and beer and watching football seems way more appealing to being out of breath and sweating and blah, blah, blah. So blah, let's blah. translate that into the way in which we live in general. Right, I know. But How our society functions in general. If that's, we're a, like, that's a perfect we point. We prefer the beer and the, the, the cookies and the donuts right. and, the, exactly. and the whatever. That other thing that's out there that's promised, or it's, it's and, and, so not real to us. And one of those paths, you know, so the, the training for running and the donuts, two separate paths, one of those paths leads to life. And one leads to a heart attack. One well, leads to not life. <laughs> and I mean, and that... I, but this is what, this, this honestly... And yet, I'm still, I'm still not going to go get my, get my running shoes on and go for a run tonight. I'm going to go to lunch, I'm going to eat tacos, and I'm going to eat chips and salsa, and I'm going to drink a cherry Coke, and then tonight I'm going to go home, and I'm going to eat French toast and bacon. So Moses and Jesus both address this. I'm on the path to death. Mo Moses and Jesus both address this. Moses gives something, he, he, he puts two paths before the people. He says you can choose life or you can choose death. This didn't mean they were going to die right at that moment. It meant you are going to live a life that leads to an abundant life, that leads to a society that goes, you know, that is going to be a fruitful, good society, or you're going to go down the path of death. Thanks, Moses. And destruction and whatever. Jesus kind of gives the same thing when he talks about the narrow gate and the wide gate. He goes, there's a narrow gate that leads to an abundant life, and there's a wide gate um, that leads to destruction. Now, he's, now, a lot of people say, oh, one's heaven, one's hell. No, what he's talking about is how we live. And one is a destructive life, and one is not. Yeah. And which way are we going to go? Which, which path are we going to choose? So to me, it's about we're having to um, train ourselves for what the kingdom of God is like. And that means we have to live parts of that out right here, right now, in order for the future to not be a shock to the system. Yeah. So.
Lots anyway. of shocks to the system. All right. We got to cut this. We got to go. We got kids that are coming in to, to practice for their Christmas program. So um, we will talk to you next week about Jeremiah. Choose a better path, people. The better path. The better path. The better path. Not the donut path. Bye, everybody. See you next week.